0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist
1: Hello, so we're back and it's that time already, the fixture pod, as the matchups were released on the 13th of June, energising FPL managers out of their slumber, well, some of them anyway, uh, to pour over season tickers and begin planning squads. i um, joined today by a couple of these uh, intrepid FPL managers um, out of the blocks early. Uh, Nick, of course, who will have something just to say momentarily. Um, but we're first delighted to welcome back the Hibernian tones of world traveller, European football expert and newly certificated BBL, uh, roughly translates from Irish as, uh, what is it, a, a Bachelor of uh, Science or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, new, new graduate, anyway, about to unleash his knowledge onto the working world, FPL Stag or Anthony to his ma, um, who we've snared for a podcast before he jets off to Connecticut for yet another summer jaunt. Uh, how are you doing, Stagster?
2: I'm doing very well, Tom. It's been nice to take a bit of a break from FPL for all of what, four or five weeks. <laughs> Great to be back into it again.
0: If you sound uh ultra enthusiastic <laughs> 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 but yeah no, it's it's always good to have you on the uh, pod just say we well, are who got this, this is you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or online at whogotissist.com. got a newly updated website with new banners and a new logo, um, posting plenty of content through the summer. Uh, thanks for all the feedback for our Get to Know You pod. A lot of people really enjoyed that one, so I appreciate all the feedback. Um, if you enjoy the pod, make sure to give us a review on iTunes um, or like us on Facebook and subscribe on SoundCloud or Spotify or however you subscribe. So, as Tom said, it's a fixture pod. Um, we're going to try and keep the price speculation to a minimum. I'm sure we said that before, last year and the year before, and then ultimately spent ages speculating on prices. But we're really going to try this time. And instead, we're just going to have a look through the calendar and maybe try and pick out when some of the key moments are for some teams and who might be figuring our thoughts.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a key caveat here. Of course, you may be thinking it's a bit early to be going on about uh, teams and players. Completely get that point of view. Feel free to skip until the price is positive, this sort of thing grinds your gears. I'd also urge you to get out of your mum's spare bedroom and into the wider world more often. Um, but l- let's go into it then, guys. We're going to do this using FPL order. So the teams and how they finished up in, in FPL last season, which obviously starts with uh, Liverpool and Man City. Um, and I think it's fair to say for these two that who cares what fixtures they've got. I'm sure it's going to be a case of free Liverpool for everybody and maybe two for, uh, uh, for for Man City, maybe three. But I mean, any objection to that kind of point of view, guys? I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to leave it there, but anything that you'd, that you'd say about these two teams, uh, stack you first.
2: Yeah, I I think it really, in reality, you're going to end up having three Liverpool players and three City players to start until we get the prices anyway. It seems like that's only a foregone conclusion. Their fixtures are quite good as we're about to go into right at the start of the season. It seems like the safest option to just be on those.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think um, Liverpool, Manchester City, we're definitely going to be loading up on. It's all about kind of how you manage which players you pick in terms of the prices and the budgets as well, because you don't want to be loading up on, you know, Mane, Salah, Sterling, Aguero. That's going to be too much of your budget, probably just on those two teams. And you'll end up completely destroying the rest of your team so it's all about structure but i think yeah definitely those two teams are going to be key in everyone's force and it's just going to be about you know salah versus manet sterling versus aguero
2: Tying in with that as well we're going to definitely have a big at the back dilemma like no other with the Liverpool defenders especially I think there's a big consensus online now that we're probably going to have a few 7.0 defenders coming out of Liverpool and it's going to be very hard to turn away from the likes of Van Dijk this year but then that's balancing up against those forwards as well that you named and it's going to be quite difficult to get that together.
1: Certainly. I think there's definitely a lot going on there with the attacking quartet that Nick mentioned. I think it's just going to be a case of pick two. Um, and I think with the Liverpool defenders, I, as you say, Stag, 7.0 wouldn't be surprising to me. To be honest, if Robertson got 7.5, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I think it's just going to be one of those things where, like, you are going to have to really do a balancing act to make sure you cover as much as you can. And even cover is not going to be... You're not going to be able to cover everything, in fact, because you, you probably are, for example, if you go with Mane, uh, be completely exposed to Mo Salah. Go with Kun Aguero, you're probably going to be completely exposed to Raheem Sterling, who surely is going to get a bit more interest than he did last year. I mean, looking at the fixtures themselves... It's uh, it's Norwich, Southampton, Arsenal, Burnley, and Newcastle, Liverpool, West Ham, Tottenham, Bournemouth, Brighton, and Norwich uh, for for Man City to open. But what's really interesting is if you pair them together and think about them in terms of captaincy, which is probably a good place to start here. Um, because over the first ten, um, if you just revolve your captain between your Liverpool premium and your Man City premium. You end up with Norwich at home, Southampton away, Arsenal slash Bournemouth Arsenal, of course, not a team anymore that we are scared of uh, captaining a player against. Uh, Brighton at home, Newcastle at home, Watford at home, Sheffield United away, Wolves slash Leicester at home, Crystal Palace away and Aston Villa at home for the first 10. So that's basically your captaincy sorted isn't it uh, which is pretty ridiculous I mean we spoke about the duopoly a little bit at the end of last season but I think that's really going to come out especially with the fixture computer being so nice to us early doors so that's a godsend for our managers right
0: definitely agree I think it's just going to be between Liverpool and Manchester City assets. it's um, we've lost Hazard so there's not there's not really anyone from Chelsea that we're going to be considering to captain at all Arsenal you could say that some people might decide to flirt with the likes of Aubameyang Manchester United is I don't think there's anyone that interests me there at all either and um, and then Spurs, you know, you could say Harry Kane for Villa at home, but who trusts Kane anymore? I certainly don't. He's going to be far too expensive to consider in my team.
2: Yeah, and kind of to add on to that as well, it's just the rest of the top six of Spurs, Chelsea, United and Arsenal for those who aren't in that loop somehow. Like they don't even face that many of the, let's say, promoted teams who would be the proper sort of teams that we would definitely want to captain a player against over the likes of one of the Liverpool attackers or one of the City attackers. There's maybe five fixtures maybe between the rest of the top six against promoted teams at the start of the season. So I think then at that point, you're just going to go for the safe options,
1: especially in the early parts of the season when there's no point taking huge risks. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's nothing really there to perturb you from looking at Liverpool and Man City's fixtures and thinking, oh, that's difficult. I mean, FPL guidance put out a good piece um, with like basically all of the fixtures of interest. And basically Liverpool and Man City were all in green. It doesn't really matter who they're playing apart from each other. And you've got to be kind of thinking, well, that, that's going to be the main bulk of my budget gone there. i not going to speculate too much, of course, on prices, as we said, even though I'm aware we've already done that a little bit. I, I think we've said as much as we, we can say on these two without knowing what the prices are. I think the real dynamic is going to be do you go for a martine or do you go for a Salah moving on to your team Spurs Nick it, as you just said trusting Harry Kane early doors and things like that might not be something you'd be looking at they start off against Aston Villa and they've got that big game against Man City away at game week two Newcastle at home in, th- in game week three would be all right um, Arsenal away in game week four is obviously going to be an easy game for Spurs and Crystal Palace at home in game week five so it's, it's a mixed bag in the first instance and um, but I think that you're going to be looking at kind of cheaper players in that kind of scenario aren't you in the Spurs team
0: yeah, I mean, you could potentially consider the defence as well. Harry Kane is going to be ultra expensive, but I think Moore is an interesting pick for sure, especially with the son suspension. He will start the season at least. It's just whether that Pock trusts him to play week in, week out. The fact that he was dropped to the Champions League final isn't a good thing. Um, you know, he got two hat tricks at the end of the season. He really should have played that game, to be honest, but he wasn't. He didn't start. He's clearly not in Pock's favoured 11. So I think that's the risk with Moura, that he will remain a rotation risk if you're willing to take a punt on him. But the fact that he got two hat-tricks in um, April and May against Huddersfield and Ajax shows that he does have the explosive potential and could be a really decent differential pick.
2: Yeah, I think when you look at the Spurs early fixtures, it's a real case of Jekyll and Hyde that you've got you know Villa at home, Newcastle at home, Crystal Palace at home in that first five, but you've also got away fixtures against City and away to Arsenal in a North London derby. So that very difficult kind of back and forth, makes them very unappealing, let's say maybe beyond picking one Spurs player, maybe two at a push. So then I think their season really kickstarts then maybe game week five where they play Crystal Palace and then there's there's quite a few easier fixtures right up until game week 10 where they play Liverpool. So I think early on I won't be bringing in too many Spurs players based on those fixtures unless there's serious value to be had somehow, but I, I don't see that actually happening.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, last season, they, they did the, they did all right in terms of team stats. I mean, Man City and Liverpool obviously dominated in terms of goal threat and also in terms of defensive stats. Uh, Spurs came fifth in terms of attempts in the box. They came ninth in terms of shots uh, conceded. So uh, it's kind of, it's not glowing really based on last season. Um, there was a, a little bit of fatigue kind of breaking into Spurs' squad and they can do it all over again. And we're waiting to see whether there'll be reinforcements because, like, the one thing that really stood out for me about Spurs looking at the fixtures was the fantastic running they've got, and um, they don't play any of the other teams in the top four uh, during this run in uh, twenty eight to thirty eight. Uh, they play Man United at home and Arsenal at home as part of it, um, but the rest of those games are eminently winnable is just the case of what players they have if they've made that team any better. And uh, what competitions they're going to be in? Because as we saw, like they they weren't particularly great, were they? At the end of last season, once they had so, so many competitions and not enough players to basically service them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the whole squad suffered from exhaustion. You know, we haven't bought any players um, since January. I think it's was two thousand eighteen, wasn't it? So that when we bought Lucas Moura, so it's been such a long time since we actually bought anyone. Um, we had a bit of an injury crisis, and you know, playing the Champions League um, at the end of the season was just meant that you know the players were absolutely knackered. It was only thanks to the incompetency of um, the likes of Arsenal and United that we still managed to qualify for the Champions League. Yeah. Again, but it was a really, it was a really bad run in for the Spurs at the end of the season in terms of their Premier League form. They were they were completely shocking. So uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how they start. You know, whether they're playing in a Champions League final will be treated as a positive or a negative because we lost the game. And um, and what happens with Pock and what happens with the transfer signings over the summer as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that that five to nine are a decent fixture stack, as you mentioned. The Crystal Palace, Leicester, Southampton, Brighton and Watford. And those might be the kind of games that would lend themselves nicely to an early wild card, perhaps. I do play the two Merseys clubs, game weeks 10 and 11. Then they've got a nice little run again um, where they play Sheffield United, uh, West Ham and Bournemouth. So maybe some mileage in that, but I, I certainly am a little... Bit wary about Spurs. Like I think that over the you know, last seasons was a bit disjointed. Obviously, quite a successful season. Their points total actually did go down. It's the lowest points total in three years. But disjointed in terms of not playing at home, and, and disjointed in terms of uh, all the injuries, um, as Nick said. So, uh, I mean, maybe we've came back, and maybe with things things kind of looking a bit different. Uh, Spurs may be a different proposition. But I'm willing to wait for I think for those first five uh, jet and hide fixtures before I move on. Chelsea then. Now, Chelsea are interesting, aren't they? Because they are in a state of flux at the moment. Sarri is already gone. Uh, Hazard is already gone. Uh, Pulisic has come in and um, had a look at him for Prospects and the Prospects, who's looking like the kind of the heir to Hazard. But little end product there. And uh, at the start of the season, it's a little bit mixed, isn't it?
2: So I think with Chelsea, I think that a lot of people are being blinded by the fact that they have a first fixture at Old Trafford. And then beyond that, really, from game weeks two to 12, they really just face Liverpool of the strong teams. And so I actually think that I could foresee if as long as this you know transfer ban is the other knife that's hanging over their heads at the moment. But as long as that and all of their preseason preparations tend to go OK, I do foresee myself having maybe two Chelsea players in my game week one lineup like last season you have to consider they had a quite a good start when Sarri came in a manager Mm -hmm. who's known for you know taking his having his methods taking a while to set in with a team and yet they started out quite well even Antonio Conte took the first week of pre-season for them last year that's how much of a mess they were so really (laughs) yeah it's just it's another year another mess for Chelsea and yet you wouldn't put it past them to do quite well at the start of this season and then maybe fall apart as you know, squad starts to fall apart with each other.
0: <laughs> That's quite interesting, actually, because I wasn't considering any Chelsea players at all in in my starting lineup. I was looking at those fixtures and I was thinking actually, game week three will be the time that I perhaps consider bringing in a Chelsea player. There's not really anyone that kind of catches my eye, especially with Hazard' absence. Um, you, you do wonder how they're going to start and how how they're going to begin the season, how they're going to start the campaign. Who even plays as well in terms of the midfield and attack is really up in the air. You know, the likes of Pedro is an interesting pick, but he might end up on the bench. And you know, William and Pulisic are, are the starting wingers. So I don't really consider any Chelsea attackers. I think by game week three we'll have an idea who's in that starting eleven. I mean, the only ones that perhaps are, are worth considering is maybe you know the goalkeeper, if you want to go for a premium goalkeeper, or um, the likes of Aspilicueta, who's, I think, last few seasons or so, he's always been in the top 20 value picks at the end of the season. And he, he really is Mr. Consistency. He's the classic Nick pick. He plays 38 game weeks. You know, he always gets a lot plenty of bonus points. And Chelsea are a team that always get clean sheets as well. And then that defence, I think Rudiger actually started to look really solid by the end of the campaign. And uh, that defence um, will get plenty of clean sheets, I think, next year as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, they, they were pretty good at the back last season. Uh, they were third from Boston in terms of shots conceded. Um, obviously, um, Liverpool and Man City are above them. I mean, with with these guys, I can kind of see what you're saying, Stag, but. I'm, I'm still, I don't know, with the prices, it, it may well change. You know, if we're seeing uh, Nick's man, uh, Harry Willie, uh, doing really well in pre season, he may be of interest. But I mean, what I saw with Chelsea was that between game week seven and 17, um, Jeremy and our Slack also got these. They have, a, they have a set of very, very good fixtures. So during that period, they only play Man City of the top six, and they've got Brighton, Southampton, Newcastle, Burnley, Watford, and Crystal Palace from seven before the Man City game. So that gives us, you know, game weeks one to six to figure them out and maybe buy someone if necessary I mean the, the good little a few fixtures after game week two um also means you can jump on early if needed but I just wonder whether I'm I, I don't know I just don't know I, th- I feel like you know with this in general like settled teams are going to be where I'm going to go in game week one rather than teams that we're not clear on like those sorts of teams could go very well but equally could be really unpredictable and you could find yourself investing a fair bit of money on say like a Pulisic punt uh, only to find that uh, um William and Pedro are favour or something like that.
2: Yeah, this is the thing with the Chelsea team is that even trying to price their squad as it stands right now is very difficult because you're looking at their forwards and you're thinking, unless they resign Higuain before the prices are set, I'm not quite sure who of their strikers could even be classed as a premium striker and then you look at their midfielders and it's going to be Pulisic obviously as a new signing but then the rest of the guys like surely the likes of Willian the likes of Pedro will still be 6 to 7.5 perhaps midfielders in that case I can see us all being tempted by at least one of them and then you have the you know the likes of the postman who always delivers Cesar Azpilicueta at the back and Kepa as well that No matter what, they seem to always do quite well. Like The fact of the matter is that Chelsea, in spite of having a fairly disappointing season and being up and down, we're still pretty much the third best team for FPL assets across the season. And so I definitely can see us wanting to have Chelsea players in our early squads purely to have them for the Norwich and Sheffield United fixtures in game weeks three and four before anyone's going to want to play a wild card before the first international break.
0: I think you do have to factor in the hazards, Impacts though he he basically carried that entire team the. the whole season, the rest of the attack was shocking. The defense was all right, but in terms of the attack, Hazard carried the team, and, and the reason that those other players are priced six to seven million was was because they're just not as good, and they're also quite heavy in, in terms of the rotation risk. Especially if there's a new manager, um, who knows our William Pudisic, Pedro, who's actually going to be starting and who's not going to be starting. And I think that's that's my concern. That's why I. Personally, I'm thinking about them for game week three. As you said, the fixtures are great. And I reckon by game week three, we'll probably have an idea in terms of who's in that starting 11.
1: Yeah, it feels like a 2 free transfer sort of scenario, doesn't it? Because I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I rarely make a transfer between game weeks one and two. I kind of hope that my initial selection is going to come good, even though it invariably never does. Um, But that looks like a kind of a decent thing to do, like wait until game week three. You know, the likes of, for example, last season, start of last season, we completely all ignored Alonso, didn't we? Because we all thought, oh, he's going to lose his spot. You know, Emerson Palmieri is going to come in. he got two double double-digit returns by game week two. So we all got him in in game week three. And with Liverpool and Manchester, Garnering my attention as well as the team we're going to talk about next, Everton, Chelsea may be a team that I'm I'm not too interested in initially, at least for the game week one squad. It's just a bit of a pity that the
2: European Super Cup is between game weeks one and two and not before, because we would have had some idea then about the Chelsea lineup and maybe their form in a competitive fixture. But just unfortunately, that's not the case. So that is sandwiched between that United and Leicester game, which may cause them trouble.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting as well to see the impacts on Liverpool too. Um, I'm fairly sure you know, that Friday picture for norwich definitely seems to have been engineered to give them a bit more time there um it's just it's just going to be the case of whether we're going to see rotation kicking i don't think it. i don't think we will early doors i really don't i no. can't really see like if it- anyone does ring the rotation bell and um, whether we should be listening to that because I-, I just don't really see it but you know invariably someone will invariably someone will say oh he's being rested for the uh, for the super cup like <laughs>
2: Really? Yeah. <laughs> we just have to remember, though, that uh, Callum Hudson Odoi did start the Charity Shield, for example, last year, totally through us. He was in my game week one squad and ended up in my squad right up until he actually started playing towards the tail end of the season because we was just stuck with him and his decreasing value, like just a hostage in my third bench spot for months on end. And it's just like that. We will find people being caught by the Charity Shield on August fourth, with City and Liverpool playing
1: against each other, and then
0: oh, obviously no. Riyad Mahrez in there again as well, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then he won't play either.
2: Yeah, Gunduan
1: maybe as well. <laughs> Phil Foden, the game we won squads across the land. Uh, interesting. <laughs> All right, uh, Everton. Um, Everton have uh, definitely caught the eye and have uh, been garnering a lot of interest because of the good open. Uh, they've got Crystal Palace, Watford, Aston Villa, Wolves. Uh, Bournemouth and Sheffield United and they, they finished the season very very well Everton and um, obviously completely uh, under the radar for most of us because uh, because we'd sold them all because we were too busy with our double game week squads and um, but throughout the course of the end of last season for example Gilfie Sigerson came from nowhere uh, to get into the team of the year his mm. best points haul ever his most goals ever in the Premier League, even beyond his heroics at Swansea. And, you know, the likes of Luca Dean, for example, Luca Dean scored 34 points in game weeks, 35, 36 and 37. And I think that we're looking at those two. Sigerson is going to be an interesting one with the penalties, of course. Um, but I suspect we're going to see Everton take a little bit of a hike in terms of their pricing, maybe because this a good start and because of the good end of season form. But I suspect as well that we're going to be looking to get two of them perhaps like you know I'm very interested in Sigurdsson interested to see what the price difference is going to be between Sigurdsson and Richarlison because Richarlison doesn't have penalties and Sigurdsson does and I'm sure it'll be all, all be about Luca Dean with maybe Seamus Goldman uh, sneaking into a few squads. Uh, Everton then guys what do we think?
0: For me it's worth actually highlighting um, their fixture run at the start of last season so last season they began with Wolves then had Southampton, Bournemouth, Huddersfield at home and then West Ham at home again so that was a really good fixture run um, You know, last year, and a lot of people were on Everton. And my my personal experience with them at the beginning of the season was pretty damn terrible, if you remember. So I had Sigerson in my starting team, and he got me one point against Wolves, two points against Southampton. I then got Richarlison in as well uh, for the Bournemouth game. He got sent off, so minus two. And uh, Sigerson got me four points. I swapped Richarlison for Walcott for the Huddersfield at home game. Um, Walcott got me one, and Siggy got me two. And then for West Ham, um, I think he got me seven, Walcott got two before they both got wild carded out of my team. So it's a pretty <laughs> terrible start for me with Everton last year. So I'm, I'm a bit wary of the likes of people going online saying, oh, I'm going to triple up on Everton with these great fixtures and getting really excited about them. And I think I you know, just should perhaps highlight their situation last year when they had a great run of fixtures and didn't actually do very well at all in, the, in terms of points either but I think their managerial positions a lot more settled now the likes of Luca Dean was a new signing last season and he's definitely settled very well he's, he's definitely a player that I'm probably going to have in my starting 11 at the beginning of the season you know finished off the season with more chances created than any other defender even more than the uh, Liverpool fullbacks he ended up with 71 chances created that was a chance every 42 minutes and, and picked up only four assists for his troubles, actually. But if um, if Everton can invest in a, in a proper centre forwards then you know Luca Dean could be like another assist king, and he's definitely um, a player that I'm strongly considering. I'm also strongly considering Gilfy as well, but it depends if they hike his price up. And considering my experience with him last year, I'm a bit bit nervous about him.
1: Not considering a, a second season the DLC for DCL.
0: Well, I was thinking about it. You might fit in nicely into my model, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm probably looking at a sort of 11.5 striker, a seven striker and then a 4.5 on my bench. And, you know, I might be a bit too expensive, if, especially if he's at six million.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I mean, they did all right last season, Everton. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were fifth and bottom in terms of shots conceded and they conceded less shots than the likes of Man United, Arsenal and Tottenham. And they're actually fourth in terms of attempts in the box. They're 30 behind Liverpool and again, um, had more shots in the box than the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal and Man United. Um, So I guess it was that end of season run that really kind of puff those numbers to some extent but I'm open to them again as you're saying that their managerial situation is definitely a lot more settled hopefully they'll um, be a little more galvanized under Marco Silva a quick point to raise as well is that in December they face Liverpool away Chelsea at home man -Man nice away, and Arsenal at home in the space of 15 to 18 so over Christmas we may be divesting them Uh, but other than that I'm I'm pretty confident about their opening start I would also differentiate Everton's good start this
2: year from even last season. Last season, we weren't sure where Everton were going. They'd had a very rough season, and then we all kind of just piled on based on fixtures alone. At least this time, there is some element of cohesion to their squad to- which I guess plays into what Nick was saying about the manager situation having bedded down quite a bit. And I think you could kind of compare the hysteria about the Everton attackers last season with maybe the hysteria about Southampton attackers a season before that, when they had an excellent set of fixtures oh. at the start. Gabbiadini and James Ward-Prowse. And I think I had Nathan Redmond as well because that was the season he was meant to be a striker. Oh Lord, yeah. it, was bad. It, was a, it was a bad time. I think let's say maybe this season you could be looking at Everton in the same light. You can be looking at the likes of Wolves from a form and a like team cohesion
1: point of view. But obviously they have better fixtures than wolves yeah certainly and uh, towards the end of the season Everton do seem to have their uh, all their tough fixtures uh, come in one go uh, for example it's in game which is 27 and 30 as well they've got Arsenal Man United Chelsea Liverpool uh, so, so they do seem to have kind of bad fixtures and clumps but around that that seems to allow them to have pretty clear purple patches so I think they're going to be an interesting team there or thereabouts in terms of this season and um, the final one in this little section uh, is is Arsenal it's an interesting one for us because obviously we are one of those teams that Are in flux. We've got a decent start with Newcastle and Burnley uh, before we have a couple more difficult fixtures in Liverpool and Tottenham. Absolutely no idea what the transfer strategy is apart from sell, sell, sell. Um, But that fire sale seems to be holding up in the acquisition. I mean, you've got links to Carrasco gone nowhere, links to Fraser gone nowhere, uh, the links to any centre-back under the sun, again, going nowhere. And it wouldn't surprise me if just about got a business finished at the start of the season. So for me, I'm putting us as a team in flux at the moment rather than a team that... I'm going to be really, really interested in uh, that. Said between game weeks eight and fifteen, we have a very good run. Uh, we don't play any of the top six teams within that run. The uh, Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Leicester, Southampton, Norwich, Brighton, and West Ham. Uh, so that could be a nice little tranche of fixtures that would we'll see us considering a couple of Gunners in our side. But after the collapse at the end of last season and the kind of the surrender in the Europa League final, I'm. I'm pretty anti-Arsenal at the moment as far as a fan can be Um, so um, yeah I think that's going to bleed into my feelings about my game week one selections but I've noticed for example the scout um, on FPL has been lauding perhaps having an Arsenal and uh, Spurs rotation throughout the course of the start of the season which is I don't really know where they've got that one from Uh, but what do you guys think about Arsenal if you haven't got the what's the opposite of rose tinted glasses on I've got no idea what that would be Uh, what do you guys think of us
0: so I think with Arsenal, I mean, looking at the fixtures, they've, they've got such a brilliant run after game week five. They've got, a, you know, the first four are a mixed bag, kind of like the Spurs fixtures. Newcastle and and quite a nice opening too. But then Liverpool and Spurs are really tough fixtures. But then after that, between game week five and... And game week uh, sixteen, they only play Manchester United out of the other top six sides. That that run of fixtures is, is brilliant, to be honest. And I think that would be the time, especially um, if you're considering wild carding around that time, where where Spurs' fixtures and Arsenal's fixtures really really change. So, I think um, I think the forwards is obviously where you would look, but they're also going to be quite expensive, Lacazette and Aubameyang. So, they'll be the two that you'll be considering the most in terms of the Arsenal asset. They only kept eight clean sheets, believe it or not, last season. And it's just pretty, pretty terrible, to be honest. You know, it was less than the likes of Cardiff and, and less than the likes of Bournemouth and Newcastle and Crystal Palace. It's a really poor season for the defence. And I, I really can't see anyone that would. You know, Maybe Bellerin, if he was fit and looking, attacking, would be the only one perhaps you'd have your eye on, but he was injured uh, for the bulk of last season, wasn't he? So I uh, wouldn't really touch the defence. Um, it would be interesting with some of the new signings if they do, they do get someone like Carrasco or, or Ryan Fraser, who was brilliant last season, then he'd certainly be a player that you would consider um, come game week five when those fixtures change.
1: I'm a bit worried about our strategy generally. I've got no idea really... What are what are kind of is anymore? That like I was speaking to a German bloke the other day, and at a conference, I wasn't just speaking to a random German. It's
2: bloke. like mesodermal. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking to a random to a German
1: the other day, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a bit I'm an Arsenal fan in this country, so I love the way you play football. I love the way that you bring through young players." Yada yada yada. And I knew at that point he was just BSing me sales talk, hmm. trying to sell to me. He didn't know anything about what we're really like at the moment. I, I don't really know what we're trying to do with our team. I don't really know where where the transfer strategy is if it is bringing in young players like you know, the likes of Fournells going to West Ham. Like that would have been the sort of player I'd have thought we should have been looking at bringing in for that amount of money. I hoping that we're going to effectively replace what we've lost with the likes of Ramsey and um, be able to strengthen into a decent side. But we are going to be, you know, it's going to be slim pickings. It's going to be the players who have been discarded by the Champions League squad.
0: I think it'll be quite interesting to see if any of the Academy products do get through um, and the likes of Iwobi, if he can finally actually step up and, and deliver a performance next season. But it's looking quite unlikely, isn't it?
1: Unbelievably, Alex Awobi was the top scoring Arsenal midfielder last season. Look it up. 99 points, I think it was. Absolutely Terrible. diabolical performance from from us in general. Oh, God. Oh, just looking at this list, it's making me angry now. At least Torreira, Torreira, defensive midfielder, playing number 11. Why not? Um, I think he'll be a little better that season. All right, let's take a break there and
0: we'll move on to uh, Crystal Palace after that. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and um, the next team on our list is Crystal Palace and, uh, you know, they've actually got a relatively decent start of the season. Um, they have Everton at home, Sheffield United away, Man United away, Aston Villa at home, Spurs away, and then it's Wolves, Norwich and West Ham up until game week eight when the fixtures actually get really tough for them. So I think, um, I think Palace is a, perhaps a team that you, you could perhaps um, see in your starting 11 at the beginning of the season, perhaps um you know, as a sort of make weight or, you know, sort of a fourth midfielder, maybe, you know, a rotation option in the defence as well. Um, or, you know, like a forward like Zaha might be a quite decent pick as a, a secondary striker.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think we, we've really kind of we've touched on a little bit of likes of Arsenal coming into our teams at uh, decent moments and touched on a little bit the Spurs too. Um, but I think from this point onwards, like, a lot of these teams are so situational, aren't they? Like, they're not teams that there may be a Wan-Bissaka type in one of these teams that you're going to get in very cheap and might as well hold. Um, but a lot of these teams are going to be teams that you're going to be bringing in players if the fixtures are good and if the form is demonstrable. Um, you know The likes of Palace really start to break into that situational sort of niche um, and you're looking for good good fixture runs aren't you I and mean, defensively they are very good and um, last season they conceded 311 shots in the box which is okay I mean that's only kind of 10 more than Spurs did so but they're not an, they're not a terrible team and they're always very well organized like the amount of goals they concede is actually quite low and um, and between you know game weeks 14-21 for example they don't play any of the top six teams they've got a run which is uh, Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford, Brighton, Newcastle, West Ham, Southampton, Norwich. So that might be a time that you'd be looking to bring them in. But it's one of those teams where we're going to have to see how the prices fall, I think, if we're going to be interested in any of the players. I mean, obviously, is not there anymore, so they're left with Benteke. Who knows if Zaha is going to still be around? I mean, Wan-Bissaka looks like he's on his bike to United. Um PVA, am I really gonna be interested in that? Probably not. Likes a Sacco, you know, likes of MacArthur. Uh Millie maybe might get some interest because of the pen taking heroics if Zaha's still around. But it's gonna be a very situational team, I think. I mean, there may be some uh Millie interest in him at the beginning of the season, but apart from that, you know, it's one of those that if they're priced nice, then maybe, but otherwise I'm happy to leave them alone, <laughs> right? Uh Stag, what do you reckon?
2: Like the one thing I think that makes Palace uniquely situational amongst that bottom half of the table, or maybe you're talking about mid-table teams like Palace, Manchester United, Wolves, etc., and then the you know, the lower teams who are risking relegation all the time, is that Palace could actually beat Liverpool. Palace could actually beat Man City. They seem to have that performance against the top teams that none of the other teams seem capable of like you could never see Watford doing that you'll never see Bournemouth doing that Except see Wolves doing that <laughs> you will see Wolves doing that actually you could actually tie Wolves and Crystal Palace together in that sort of sense but I think Wolves were quite poor against the really poor teams last season didn't they have a very bad run against the relegated teams but they were quite good against the mid-table teams around them and the teams above them whereas I think Palace are kind of unique in that they were quite good against the teams like way up in the top six and quite good against the relegated teams but very poor against the teams around them and so if you look at that Palace fixture list at the start of the season, I actually think the worst fixture for them at the start of the season is Everton in their first five, followed by maybe the Wolves one in game week six. That's not even trying to be contrary. I think that's just the, the weird type of team that they are, that I think they'll show up against Sheffield United and hammer them. They could show up against United and sneak a draw at Old Trafford, and yet then they could lose horribly to Everton.
0: I still think they're definitely worth considering. I mean, they, they managed 12 clean sheets last season, that was um, more than the likes of Manchester United the more than the likes of Arsenal though I, I do worry about if they lose um awB and Saka, they're going to struggle a little bit more defensively it's, it's actually quite shocking that um he won 131 tackles last season which was more than any other defender and that, that's quite brilliant for a guy that started the season just at 4.0 million um and you know likes of miloevich as well he actually scored 12 goals he, he's appeared in our sort of top 20 values picks for the last two seasons running and um, you know depending on his price he's still probably going to be up there again as a really good value pick um, within the top five midfielders and um, it depends as well with VAR obviously there's a lot of debate as to whether VAR will um, increase the amount of penalties or not increase it and the jury still seems a little bit out on that but the fact that he's Crystal Palace's main penalty taker the likes of Wilf Saha Um, who has so many penalty touches, seems to be consistently fouled in the box. Um, It's surely going to work in his benefit. Uh, He didn't seem too big a fan of PVA either, Tom, but I had him at the start of last season, did pretty well for me. Um, He had 45 goal attempts, which I think was fourth or fifth for all defenders last season with three goals. And he could be, um, you know, know, he could be a really good uh, pick in that defence. Again, good value pick. Yeah,
1: certainly. I think it was, they, we were so interested in them because they had Fulham game week one, right? And then they had an okay kind of run over uh, Watford game week three, Southampton, Huddersfield, four and five. I mean, on, on the penalties, they actually won the most penalties last season. It'll come as no surprise to anybody. And um, they had 10 penalties uh, scored. and uh, That would have translated into an extra 50 points, an extra 50 point gimme if you own Millie for the whole season. But so a good article in the economist about var that the season after it's been introduced it hasn't actually resulted in more penalties being given you'll see that a lot of penalties that should have been given in the past will be given but a lot of penalties that would have been given in the past will now be ruled out so i think in some ways it's going to even itself out and we're probably not going to see the bonanza um that some people may be assuming like, i can see why you've made that assumption why you think oh var equals more penalties but you have to remember the opposite side which all can also mean var equals penalties not given and it can also mean things like i don't know and um, FPL going mad and pricing these players really highly. Like, You can imagine Millie being an 8 million Crystal Palace midfielder just because he takes penalties. Like, If they do that sort of thing when the prices come out, it's a no-go, isn't it? It's not value for money. Yeah, the one thing about VAR as well, I think that's
2: definitely changing people's perceptions, especially if you don't watch any La Liga or um, maybe Serie A or something, what you forget, like the World Cup is totally tinging everyone's idea of how many penalties that VAR results in, because that World Cup was just ridiculous. But you have to understand that the referees who took part in that World Cup, an awful lot of them came from countries where VAR hadn't been used, and so it was their first time implementing it, and so we just ended up with penalties all over the place, whereas, as Tom cites, uh, across Europe, the introduction of VAR did not result in a, a like a huge amount of extra penalties.
0: I've noticed as well in the Champions League, that the way that the, the rules seem to be slightly different in terms of handballs and, and what constitutes a penalty, even if it's an accidental handball. And we saw that in the in the um, final when Sissoko, I didn't think that was a penalty, to be honest, um, with Sissoko. And that wasn't even when VAR was used. And um, the Danny Rose incident against Manchester City, when that was considered a penalty after a VAR review, when that kind of, I don't think that penalty would have been given in the Premier League either
2: and the famous united penalty as well against psg yep. well like i think what ken early of second captain's podcast calls those is penalty noodles that your hands are just penalty noodles and if you hit the hands then you're going to win a penalty i've in the slack chat i've often compared it to um field hockey where if you touch the ball of someone's foot you can win a free or a short corner depending on the part of the pitch where you actually get that foul and i think that is totally different there is totally a a dichotomy between the rules that UEFA enforce and that the FA enforce right now. It will be interesting to see if there's any convergence between those as the summer goes on. I think the referee meeting tends to take happen in July, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because I always, it's always a thing that, you know, somebody comes, starts tweeting about at some point randomly (laughs) in July. It's just like, Oh, I think it was two seasons ago that they were talking about if it was interferences in the box, like leading up, you know, from a corner that if there were defenders tugging, that we'd give penalties. And I think there were, I remember Bojan took a penalty for Stoke in game week one and everyone was like, oh my God, this is a, a new dawn where penalties are everywhere in the Premier League. And it just, it phased out because clearly it was just being, the likes of Danny Murphy were just shooting it down on match of the day, basically. And so <laughs> the, referees, the referees took notice and they just stopped giving them again. But we may see that change this time with VAR, we'll see.
1: In the Women's World Cup, I mean, arms in unnatural positions appears to be the conduit for penalty now. <laughs> subscribes to your noodle idea because you're, you're moving your arms around like a weirdo and if you've got your hand out to try to stop something that constitutes a penalty as we've, we've seen in a couple of games but you equally have something like you know, in, the, in the Japan-Scotland game that the ball hit um, one of the one of the player's arms in that in the box in a natural position didn't get picked up by anybody you're still just going to have another layer of uncertainty it's not going to be solved completely but I think we should we've, we've obviously digressed a little bit but I think it's worth kind of including these thoughts at this point. United. Let's talk about them, shall we? As uh, a stag, I can see you're getting ready. uh You're fuming. You're not ready to talk about them, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exasperated side. To introduce Manchester United. <laughs> exactly.
1: And they're going to be interesting because I'm expecting their players to remain priced around what they were, and um, just because I mean they're going to be, they obviously finished outside the Champions League places. And um, obviously they're going, probably going to make some sort of statement signing throughout the summer, and um, maybe not a Fred. <laughs> but, um, and, and their opening is is OK. Um, it's where Chelsea, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Southampton, Leicester. But the wheels really fell off Ole's car, didn't they, towards the end of uh, last season? And uh, you've got to be wondering whether early doors, you're going to be backing them or whether you're going to be waiting and seeing whether the red revolution can continue under Solskjaer. Uh, what do you reckon, Stag?
2: Well, like it, it is promising that they don't face any of their fellow relegation candidates in the early season, but there are fixtures against mid-table sides kind of above them. So it'll it'll be I'm I'm kind of concerned about United start and I don't think you could possibly, you know, pile up on United assets. Like unless this statement signing is somebody who can score goals by themselves, which I guess is what we thought the likes of Alexis Sanchez was, but it never proved to be. I, I, I just don't see how anyone could be excited by Manchester United assets. Like the the summer has proven to be a complete disaster so far. What's the rolling tally,
1: Tom? Uh, one of the highlights of my summer has been uh, <laughs> Jonathan Kahn and I have been, uh, uh, well, Jonathan mostly have been recording the number of uh, players who have been linked to Manchester United. And uh, Pascal Kimpembe has brought it up to eighty-two players now linked with Manchester United since the start of the transfer window. Which, with Daniel James, uh, we do the prospects and the prospects on him being the only signing, brings the strike rate to one percent. Uh, so, so rumor to reality strike rate of one percent for anybody linked to Manchester United, who again being used as fodder for a better contract or a higher transfer fee, or indeed, if we're being very cynical, a higher agent cut. And the amount of transfer gossip column uh, snippets that you see. Uh, with the phrase and Manchester United are also interested <laughs> it's, it's, it's just beyond the joke isn't it like it's such a, I, I don't know it's just like a, it's chicken and egg isn't it it's like oh do I say that Manchester United are linked here if I don't say it then someone else is going to say it so I'm going to say it says the journalist and that just seems to keep happening uh, but anyway yeah uh, I'm not particularly interested at the start of the season uh, but there's a few decent kind of uh, bright spots for them uh, game weeks 10 to 15 uh, absolutely marvellous uh, Norwich away Bournemouth away Brighton at home Sheffield United away and Villa at home
2: good Run of proverbial relegation six pointers there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, Stag is a Manchester United fan. Before you guys start writing in that we hate them, and uh, <laughs> and in the the in fan nice is absolutely brilliant. Um, they've got. No teams in the top six uh, throughout throughout the end of the season. And they've got a run which comprises Sheffield United, Brighton, Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Southampton, Crystal Palace, West Ham and Leicester. Uh, So a very, very nice end of the season there. Nick, you've been very quiet here,
0: probably to avoid offending stag. But uh, what are your views on the United boys? I was just looking at the defence and it's quite shocking. Only Fulham and Huddersfield kept less clean sheets than Manchester United in the Premier League last season. And, um, you know, there are so many defenders that scored more than any Manchester United defender last season, even the likes of Sol Bamber and, and Morrison from Cardiff got more points than any Manchester United defender, the top scorer being Luke Shaw. But it is quite crazy how many players have been linked to the club. Uh, but I, I'm sure they're definitely going to invest in it. They have to invest in another centre-back and, uh, you know, a right-back as well. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of Wamba and, and Maguire do actually join in the summer and if and if they do then they'll look like a a much stronger um you know, option, but even with um, a, a stronger defence, it was quite shocking actually also to see the, sort of the, the downgrade in terms of um, De Gea and his, his sort of save percentage. He was, he was really shocking last season, wasn't he? So his, his save percentage was uh, only 71.3% last season, much lower than um, than it was in 2017 18, where he was so brilliant. that we used to talk about Dave's saves all the time, and there was a lot of enthusiasm about him. And he had a, sort of a save percentage of 82.1% which was the highest of all the um all the active goalkeepers in the Premier League so it much depends in terms of Manchester United defence if, if Dave David De Gea is on form again or if he has another campaign like he did last season um, in, in terms of midfield and attack I, think, I guess Rashford is someone that's always going to be quite interesting see if he can finally have that breakthrough season you know um, other young players like Lingard of course as well see, see what's going on with him and um, Ole obviously um, is a big fan of Rashford and Lingard likes to promote the youth amongst the squad and that's obviously in the signing as well of Daniel James so very interesting to see how the young players do Man United, and and what happens to the older guards, you know, the likes of Lukaku and Pogba.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, it made nice of the defence quickly. I've got a stat for you. Um, they were joint top with Fulham uh, for defensive errors last season with 28. Um, Arsenal were also part of that band in the, in the joint top three, which uh, probably shows how bad the defences were for our respective team stag. Uh, unfortunately, Arsenal, as usual, ran away with errors leading to goal uh, stakes. <laughs> uh, with was 13 errors leading to goal um, and uh, Bert Leno uh, proving himself to be an adequate air uh, to check, um, making them majority of those errors through flapping it basically uh, which seems to be what we do but yeah I mean with United uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those isn't it or maybe they're situational maybe they're the sort of team uh, we don't know where, where the Pogba's going to be there uh, but you know, the likes of Rashford are going to gain some interest early doors the likes of you know, Man United Defence can gain some interest early doors we always see there's a, a lot of people who start FPL a lot of them are Man United fans which means there's a lot of ownership for Manchester United two seasons ago um, you know, owning Man United Defender was very very good in the first instance and owning the likes of Mkhitaryan and Pogba is very good in the first instance. Whether we see that again over the likes of Lingard performing very well and stepping up to the plate this year, we just don't know. Wolves in the next one. Heroes last season against the top six, weren't they? I saw Tom Campbell pulled out um, that Raul Jimenez got attacking returns home and away against five teams who were Spurs, Chelsea, Bournemouth, Manchester United, and Everton. Pretty damn good. And we also saw that they were unable to play teams in the bottom six. They were absolutely terrible in this sort of game. Uh, Wolves actually came seventh, right, in that little mini table of teams, including Burnley, Cardiff, Fulham, Southampton, Huddersfield and Brighton. I think Huddersfield did the double of them, didn't they?
2: Yeah, they picked their very first points against one of the relegated teams, I think, in like gaming 36 or 35 as well. There was something like that. <laughs>
1: absolutely terrible inaccurate
2: stats for you guys but there you go
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) terrible stuff and then they were third in terms of the top six plus wolves mini league because of how good they did um, that's really bad English, but you get what I mean against those sorts of guys. Um, in terms of the fixtures, again, it's a bit of a mixed bag at the beginning Leicester, Man United, Burnley, Everton, and Chelsea. But I suspect there's going to be some interest in their players. Uh, Jimenez has mentioned, I think he's going to get a bit of a price boost. He's going to be priced fairly prohibitively, I think 8.5 or something like that. Uh, but the likes of Josie are going to garner some interest. And maybe your man Doherty Dorothy, um, is going to be uh, on the list. Who knows?
0: I think definitely well, you have to consider Wolves, um, but I'm I'm not sure if I will be considering them at the start of the season. As you said, the, the fixtures are a bit bit of a mixed bag. Really, they're definitely going to be a club with their players getting price hikes. Well, what was so brilliant about Wolves last season is, is getting Doherty in, and he was only four point four million. For instance, we're not going to see that again. Um, him and starting the season at five point five million, being the sort of perfects third striker or second striker for the campaign and um, again we're not going to see that again as you said um, which is obvious so it will be a tougher campaign for us in terms of picking out the good value Wolves assets and uh, I still see them doing very well again next season it was a bit of a weird season for them, they did so brilliantly against the big sides and then when I loaded up on them, I think I was tripled up for that Huddersfield game which they lost and it's just so frustrating so it would be very interesting to see what um, changes for them next season and still definitely a club to consider but perhaps not at the beginning of the season when as you said the fixtures are mixed bag
2: well, this is the thing as well with Wolves is that I think now we really need to use those first five fixtures to decide whether or not they're challenging for a top six position. If we think that they're actually challenging for a top six position based on those early fixtures where they come up against the Leicester, United, Everton, Chelsea, and then Burnley's in there as well, that can be the relegation fodder test for them. If they can get through those games with, let's say, 11 plus points, I think you can feel fairly confident at that point that they're going to have a very good season or should at least continue it. Now, they will also have the Europa League hangover that none of the other teams are going to be coping with. I think they start off in July, am I right in saying, Yeah, Tom?
1: same as Burnley before.
2: Yeah, so they'll end up playing like you know Astra or some random team in Kazakhstan or something to start off their summer. And then, that has historically seriously affected teams in the early part of the season. Like Burnley last season very much followed the trend of having a tough start and then managing to pull it up at the se- in the latter half of the season to have a respectable finish as it turned out. But we are, as you say, going to have... These Wolves players are going to be seriously hiked. It's not going to be like the Burnley team where... You know, they were still relatively affordable having finished seventh. This Wolves team are going to be extremely expensive. The likes of Jimenez could easily be an 8.0 or a 9. He's going to be in the Jamie Vardy bracket, basically. The likes of Jota could move up into the, you know, beyond Pedro type bracket. Uh, it's going to be challenging to deal with that, I think, next season. And I think you just have to see, are they like Man United? If you think that they're as good as Man United or will have a season like Man United, then invest in them like you would a Man United player.
0: I think you made a really good point there, Stag, about the Europa League in the early start. We've seen it every single campaign. Those clubs that have qualified for the Europa League have really suffered the next year Burnley um last year but we saw it previously with Southampton as well who did really poorly we saw it with Newcastle and we've seen it with Everton and West Ham it's just year on year they really struggle and I do worry about the Wolves squad depth if they don't invest in some more players over the summer and you know these long trips to various places in Eastern Europe it, I don't think it will help them
2: The one thing that maybe contrasts Wolves from those other teams, and I'm not coming at this scientifically in any way, shape or form, but I think that a lot of those... The likes of Burnley didn't have any squad depth in the first place. That Everton team that qualified was that the team then that was over invested in? You know they were the uh, seven
1: attacking midfielder. Yeah, the,
2: the the attacking midfielder team essentially. Like yeah, remember that team and then that's the Southampton team. Did they lose their manager and they had a poor start? Like whereas Wolves at least they have the small squad, but they seem to have the money to invest. Not that they've done it yet. So we might see them buck that trend.
1: Like in terms of their defence, like last season they were fourth from bottom in terms of shots conceded, um, only two hundred and forty nine, which is you no know, less shots conceded than Man United, Arsenal, and Spurs. Um, so they've definitely got the foundation there of a good team. Like they've got a small squad, and that's how, I think mean, Nuno used about eighteen players last season, something like that. And you clearly can't do that again. But you're right. Like, what differentiates Wolves from Burnley is that they've got the resources to buy more players in and have those players being part of the, being part of that squad and taking the heat off to some extent. Will that in, will that include a little bit of rotation into the mix? Who knows. Um in terms of good defenses, then to make a bit of an awkward segue, Leicester last season actually had a good defense as well. They were sit from bottom, so in the top six in terms of uh, shots in the box conceded, with 261, just below Everton, and they also played fairly well going forward. Even you know. It does include a little bit of the Brendan Rogers revolution, but they're in the top six as well for, shot, for shots last season. Start of the season against Wolves. Uh, Chelsea away, obviously not that great. Uh, Sheffield United away, which is probably a bit better. Uh, then Bournemouth and then Manchester United, who are basically relegation fodder. So it's it's not too bad for the first five, and you could be expecting something decent to come out of that. With the likes of Tielemans, it looks like if he joins, that might be a decent pick. is obviously going to be there or thereabouts. And You've got your man Ricardo Pereira at the back as well, Stack. who may be garnering some interest.
2: That Leicester team seriously improved under Rodgers in the latter half of last season as well. It's kind of hard to, let's say, discount that from game week 30 to 38, they conceded the second least big chances of all teams. So actually Liverpool conceded 11, Leicester conceded just 10 big chances in that time. They didn't actually rack up their clean sheet total at that point in the season, but they were still you know defensively underperforming, if anything, and not delivering clean sheets. So if they can kind of bring an extra bit of solidity to that defence, maybe by probably putting an end to Wes Morgan's career as a starting Premier League centre-back at minimum, I think you'll find that that will really turn around for them. So defensively, very attractive. And then attacking-wise, things really started to come together between Varady, Tielemans and Madison, as the season tailed off under Rodgers as well. He kind of tends to get players who are very creative, playing well, maybe struggles with the defensive midfielder types. But I think you'd have to be interested in them starting, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I think Ndidi is a good example of a player who was a little bit underrated last season, but from a football perspective, really picked up in that defensive screening role. Yeah. Um, he could be somebody who obviously is not interesting in terms of FPL, but if he starts to you know really assert his dominance in terms of that Kante Gay sort of role in terms of recoveries, interceptions, I think he could be very, very good. Uh, Lewis Dunk, it looks like, maybe going to Leicester mm-hmm. uh, to enable that kind of uh, wheel uh, with Maguire coming in really should
2: like what I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: have that uh, seen that that's a uh, quote unquote yeah, yeah, done to, of... Dunk
0: Alliance being broken up mm. but um yeah I think Dunk um sounds like he's going to Leicester but it sounded like it was for quite a bit of money as well which sounds like Maguire move money to me so it'll be very interesting to see if it. there's like some sort of wheel of Fortune wheel of big heads, yeah, wheel of rotation or something. So it'll be very interesting. Um, that will be very interesting. But I think mean, you did mention Chilwell as well. He, he's the other fullback that's definitely worth considering. He actually created a uh, 45 chances uh, last season, which was fifth for all defenders because Pereira was 30. Carrera created thirty-three, so I think both of those guys are going to be quite interesting to see what happens in Madison as well. I think you might, you might have said earlier, Tom, that he created more chances than any other player in in the game. So plenty of options for the likes of Ratface up front as well. If you're looking for a sort of a, a free striker setup, he can he might fit into your uh, into your uh, structure and, and also other young players. like um, Harvey Barnes coming through. So I think it's, it's exciting times for Leicester. Oh,
1: uh, certainly. Last team in this little session before we take a little break is Bournemouth. Um so Last season, game weeks one to ten were excellent. They won six of their first ten, and the likes of Callum Wilson returned in seven of ten games. Um, Ryan Fraser returned in five of ten, and they've got a decent, okay start again. Uh, Sheffield United at home uh, to open the season, and Aston Villa away in game week two. Two promoted sides, early doors. There'll be a lot of interest in Bournemouth, even though they are going to take a little bit of a hike, I suspect. Um, and then they've got kind of Man City, but you know, Leicester, Everton, Southampton, West Ham, Arsenal, Norwich, and. Watford in their first 10 isn't too bad at all especially when you're kind of considering these players as mid-range assets who are going to be um you know probably filling gaps for many many players throughout just based on perhaps on that game week one uh, fixture uh, what do you think of the cherries then uh, interested happy
0: So, I think I'm definitely interested in the attack. I'm not particularly interested in the defence. Only Huddersfield and Fulham conceded more goals than Bournemouth last year. They conceded 70. It really wasn't a great campaign for their defence at all. And, uh, you know, I'm not too interested unless they invest heavily in, in some replacements at the back. Uh, I think it's more about the attacking assets and, uh, you know, the big clubs are sniffing. As you know, we mentioned Fraser to Arsenal, Wilson's been linked with Chelsea. It'll be interesting if they can hang on to those guys. But in terms of those fixtures, I'm definitely considering at least one Bournemouth player, In my starting eleven, and you have to look at likes of Wilson or Fraser, and essentially looked at a double up as well. And I think David Brook was a really good player last season for them, and I think he's going to be very kindly priced as well. So he's not going to get much of a hike, and he'll fit quite well into that sort of fourth midfielder slot where you're not going to have to spend too much money on a player. And if the likes of Fraser does definitely leave, definitely be nailed on for those very kind opening fixtures.
2: Bournemouth are especially attractive for anyone who's considering an early wild card, like a very, very early wild card. That those first two they're the only team who played two promoted teams in the first two game weeks of the season. And I don't think anybody can put together a game week one squad and ignore that. Perhaps there were there were a few teams we flagged earlier who their fixtures kind of improve after a few games. We were talking about an early wild card for was the other team we were talking about nearly wildcat for earlier, Chelsea and Arsenal, uh, yeah. Chelsea start, you know, their fixtures turn up from game week two, really. And Arsenal's are fine, really. So, yeah, what you're talking about then is that Bournemouth definitely, I think people will be looking at Callum Wilson, as you say, people will definitely be looking at their midfield as well. I think David Brooks, mm, I, I don't think he'll be as attractively priced as you might think. I think he could still be a 5.5 or even a 6. Which is a marked difference. He was a, become a starting player, and he's a starting international at this stage. I'd be, I'd be fearful of his price going up a bit too high. Bournemouth fixtures do completely go downhill in game week three, game week four, game week five. Those were all tough fixtures for them, and I'd be a bit concerned. So look, at least one Bournemouth player in your starting lineup, but. Watch it. Watch that space from there. Maybe keep them for the city game, and just see what sort of Bournemouth team shows up to that. How has previously he started by trying to completely outplay City and just you know go down trying to play football against them, and now he seemed to be a bit more restrained against them last season, and still found. That he was getting defeated, but if they can t- tidy up that defence, especially goalkeeper, that's been a serious trouble point for Bournemouth last term, and that they ended up playing Arthur Baric again. Uh, looking at their links at the moment, like looks like they might be looking at uh, Jack Butland.
1: Wilson's an interesting one. Um, I think overall, Wilson and King. So Wilson actually only scored thirteen less points than Jimenez last season. I think a lot of people are going to be saying, "Oh, you yeah, know, Jimenez is going to get a big leap. Why wouldn't Wilson?" I don't know. It might be one of those things that because Jimenez is so top of mind, and you know, Wilson did get a lot of interest, but he's playing for a less sexy club, perhaps, than Wolves. Who says Wolves is sexy? It's probably the first time that's ever been said. Um, but you know what I mean. Like he's got, he's had a bit less, uh, a, little, a, little bit, a little bit less exposure. I think Wilson. A lot of his goals because he was removed from our squads because of double game week sort of stuff. He didn't get as much interest. And I don't know whether he might, he might get like a 7.5 or something like that and, and be quite a decent player. It'd be interesting particularly to see how they price Wilson and King because King's on penalties and um, uh, Wilson is not. it will be interesting to see how they do that. Uh, they're going to be quite interesting. And Wilson, Fraser, who'd be surprised to see them if Fraser's still there, of course, like really explode in the first kind of two games.
0: Kings potentially and someone to see if they make Wilson stupidly prized then maybe just go with King
2: well, no matter what whichever one you pick it'll be the other one that scores so, like. it's
0: always the way
1: right uh, let's take a break there then we'll move on to a few of the other situation picks uh, before trying to fudge the new promoted sides
0: who got the assist who got the assist
1: Okay, so we're falling off the cliff to some extent, falling off the consistency cliff, I should probably say at this point towards the kind of the, the final nine teams here. they um, are starting off with West Ham, who are probably the definition of inconsistency. Um, a big signing, Pablo Fornal. Have I said that right, stag? Yeah. Joined from Villarreal. Uh, we did the prospects and prospects on him. Uh, disappointing stats uh, from a, for a number ten, um, but yet again, the sort of player who um, may come in and knit everything together, especially for the man who is occupying the space of many a how else do I say it, a shit list, Uh, Felipe Anderson, who nonetheless uh, performed very well last season uh, for them. Nine goals and six assists he got, especially when running hot during the middle of the season. Uh, But you've got to wonder with West Ham again, um, how consistent they're going to be. There's going to be no interest in them, I don't think, uh, from game week one um, with Man City. Um, But that being said, Game weeks two to five are pretty good uh, for them. With Brighton, Watford, Norwich and Aston Villa, Uh, three or four of them are away. Um, So it's just the case of whether we're going to be Willing to take the punt, or whether we're going to be waiting to see if uh, Pellegrini's second season is going to turn them into a Man City light, or just going to mean that they are going to continue being a, a bunch of inconsistent players. Two twelve though is quite good. Um, only one of the top six in United at home. Uh, what do we think then? I've just literally written inconsistent uh, <laughs> underneath West Ham here. Uh, what do you reckon, guys? So yeah, so
0: yeah, actually that's quite. A... Good point about West Ham's fixtures. I haven't properly noticed that a run of two to twelve is really decent. You just you see that sort of opening fixture against Manchester City, and you just think, ah, you know, avoid this team. You know, they're, they're going to be terrible. <laughs> but um, but you know, they're, they're, I mean, the defense is pretty shocking. They did only manage seven clean sheets all season. they were just really poor. Their top scoring defender was actually Declan Rice, and he's probably going to be reclassified as a midfielder. But you still kind of like the likes of Fabianski. He's a sort of an old favourite of ours. Um, you know, I think he topped um, in terms of goalkeepers got the most saves out of all goalkeepers last season and uh, you know it was just a really good value pick and hopefully if he remains at 4.5 then he could be um, you know probably the pick of the bunch out of the 4.5 goalkeepers but I think Anderson probably the pick of the bunch of midfielders but as you said he is the definition of inconsistency if he can maintain that form over the course of the season then he could have a brilliant campaign but you know it's a big if isn't it? it's a big question I'm not sure that you know I'm I'm willing to back him and and put my cards with um, Anson right now and then you got Arnie of course up front and he was rotated a little bit near the end of the season with Chicharito and he was also pushing quite heavily for a move away as well so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him
2: the thing with this West Ham team is that like, they, they could become a slightly more attacking team. Like Mark Noble is another year older, and you may see Pablo Fernandes bring them more, at least more attacking. Not, as you say, Tom, in terms of output for him, he himself, but perhaps assisting the assister.
1: Hockey pass specialist.
2: Yeah, exactly. And look, maybe that's the sort of um, thing he'll bring to it. I can't confess to have watched him play for Villarreal all that much. I, every time I watch Villarreal, it's always against one of the bigger teams. So West Ham are... Notoriously inconsistent. I don't think anyone should have any more than one of them in their opening squad because look, they do have a pretty good run of fixtures. I think Philippe Anderson will probably be overly expensive just because they need to have one of them expensive. And going from there, there's not much more to say.
1: No, maybe, maybe, you know, lights likes one out of it if he fancies it um, early doors and that would be okay. I mean, he's one of those players, I was speaking to a couple of people about this, like he basically is a passenger for a lot of the season if he has a fit of peak. Uh, but for the majority of the season, he, he's obviously one of those players who's always in the mix. What's most interesting about West Ham is that a lot of people have actually picked this up as well. So it's not just me, uh, but Wolves and West Ham rotate very, very well over the course of uh, one to 19. They don't play any of the top six um, in terms of how you could do it. So if you were were interested in Fabian and Rui, uh, uh, Rui Mix or if you were interested in something like that Um it gives you Leicester, Brighton, Burnley, Norwich, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Watford, Crystal Palace again, Southampton and Sheffield United in the first 10 uh, for example so having some sort of you know your goalkeepers. If you are one of these weird people who likes to have two rotating keepers, or having a like a four point five Manchester United target, Issa Diop and uh, Big Willy Bolly and um, rotating that that sort of thing could work okay. I really do think for now is going to be interesting in terms of how he knits that team together, like Anderson. Turned from being creator in chief to being shooter in chief towards uh, throughout the season, uh, became troll in chief towards the end of course. But he could be one who, if they do have a good set of fixtures in that kind of two to twelve, he could be someone who definitely does figure in a few teams. But that game we won, that Man City game, as Nick said, we are all going to be going. Ah, I'm not really interested, but. They could easily come in if you are wildcarding very early. If you've muffed it up and you go for the wildcard in game week three, uh, you could see a few West Ham players in some squads. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should, we should probably just uh, quickly mention Mark Noble <laughs> just, uh, from a VAR point of view, just for lols. <laughs> Oh, Nick's doing a face facepalm. Right, let's move on to Newcastle then. I'm <laughs> the classic Nick pick that paid off. <laughs> I'll keep that being. Right. Uh, Newcastle <laughs> then, uh, Newca- Newcastle on Abu Dhabi. If they are bought by Sheik Bin 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 Bin, Bin um, they might be a little bit interesting. I mean, they've got a bit of a mare start, a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing. Arsenal at home to begin with, an easy game, obviously. Um, and Norwich away, uh, Spurs away, Watford at home and Liverpool away. I can't imagine them garnering much interest from many people. They've got a decent like, little run of fix between game mm. weeks 27 and 33. Uh, but a lot does depend on whether they get injected with new money and whether they uh, overhaul that, that side, especially with my bet noir, Solomon Rondon. It's seemingly the passing for Turkey, it seems, mm. uh, from West Brom is the most recent news I've seen.
2: Yeah, I'm really only interested in, in Newcastle from about game week 34 when they face Manchester City, and they also face Spurs and Liverpool at the end of the season because that's the Iosi Perez zone, and that's when things get that's when they turn good. And outside of that, I won't be looking at them unless Kylian Mbappe signs.
1: Maybe Bro Potus, Nick. Maybe Kennedy if he goes back on loan.
0: Perhaps not. I think um, one one thing I've heard about is um, sort of Matt Ritchie was playing that sort of wing back role for quite a lot of the season, and if. If he's reclassified as a defender, he could be quite an interesting pick in in the back as well for for that decent fixture run. Um, but yeah, the i o z Perazone, he, he was um he was a star for me at the end of the season. He was a star the previous end of the season. He's also been linked with a move away, so it'd be very interesting um, to see what actually happens with that Newcastle front line. It seems like it's a little bit up in the air, and we haven't got anything uh, too pertinent to say about it, to be honest.
1: No, definitely. It could all change though. Imagine Mourinho, Newcastle manager, Kylian Mbappe linked to Newcastle and the likes of Cavani showing up to their stuff on Tyneside. They've got to sign Moy, haven't they? Have double Voldemort in the midfield. That'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right uh, uh, Watford then and i think we were saying off there weren't we that Watford were really surprising when it came to the FPL numbers um because they they actually didn't perform particularly well last season in terms of FPL and they were 14th overall in terms of points scored just above cardiff we would probably be expecting a bit more from them but, you know as it was delafeu was the highest point scorer for them and and they were the epitome weren't they of the situational pick that i've mentioned a couple of times because you know, the likes of andre gray being in your team for the double game week that only happens double game week like so you know i didn't do my historic purchase of troy dini because he got that red card um for yet another elbow to the cojones but you know Watford are the sort of team that you are going to be buying players only if they've got a good run of fixtures. So, you know, Jamie Game Week 12-22 and they've got a nice run where they they have Liverpool man-nice in the middle for sure, but they've got Norwich, Burnley, Southampton, Leicester, Crystal Palace before that, and the Sheffield United, Aston Villa, Wolves and Bournemouth after that. So, again, one of those teams that you're only going to be really interested in when they've got that nice run of fixtures and they're looking perhaps like they're they're on it. I mean, who knows what, what the revolving door of players is going to look like.
0: Yeah, I think Watford are probably going to be an a void for me. Um, I mean, their first fixture is OK. Brighton, at home could potentially be a clean sheet. But I, I think um, you, you're you only looking at enablers amongst that team. You know, you might like to punt on the likes of Holabaz, but he's probably more likely to just be sitting in our over-30s team and not featuring in our actual team for the course of the season. Um, up front, you know, we, we had a little bit of success with Isaac um, a few times, you know. Did we? I think it was just an amazing. <laughs> <laughs> on the Baileys, Nick.
2: As good as Bro Porter's at best.
0: Pretty sure he scored a goal for me one time.
1: Yeah, Against Huddersfield, yes. What a lad.
0: But yeah. had a tiny bit of success. I less, mean, less success. With- Dini, got himself sent off in advance of that double game week. But they're definitely one of the, those teams that we thought did really well. Perhaps that's just mainly based on the cut run. But when you actually look at the assets, they didn't do very well at all. I think Lefeu is probably the only one that I would be considering quite strongly. But it'll be quite interesting. Um, he might be one of those ones that gets uh, reclassified to the forwards, a category which will obviously dent his appeal, losing a point for every goal he scores. I mean, that might mean that he doesn't get too much of a price increase because of a reclassification as where they, they always try and weigh that up, don't they? So I think Dale La Fea is perhaps the only one I'd really look at in terms of Watford assets um, next um, year.
1: There's always an um, uh, over-30s hero, Ben Foster, as well, in goal. Um, 129 points from seven, uh, seven clean sheets last season. He, he does have an 150-point season in him, although that was 2010-11. Uh, uh, since then, he's uh, yeah, he scored 140 even next year, but after that, it's been a with spiral. But, you know, he could, if he's 4.5, uh, be one of those players that people just shove him. I know you had him stagged. It was
2: like Callum Hudson-Odoi. I just had one goalkeeper for, I'd say, about 25 game weeks last season, and it was just like a, a ride to nowhere most of the time where you just conceded some stupid goal, but then suddenly there'd be this clean sheet and it would just give you hope that Ben Foster could once again deliver points. But at the end of the day, like... They're just bad. They're just a bad team. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like they're just—they're distinctly mid-table. They can end up conceding more goals than they probably should based on the shots they can see. They don't score enough. Roberto Pereira turns up when he wants and when he plays, he's absolutely unbelievable. And when he doesn't, no. I think he's on his way
1: as well. I saw Pereira. Who, uh, uh, to, to
2: Manchester United!
1: <laughs> Maybe, but there's suggestions that he was unsettled in, in in Watford, and you know who wouldn't be, frankly. <laughs> right. Um, so, sorry, Watford. It's, it's it's a very lovely place. Right, uh, moving on then to Southampton. Um, we're going to get a final word on Saints from uh, Lucy Heiner on them when we get to our Prizes pod. But as it stands, they're obviously in the territory. Start off OK, Burnley away, and then they've got their parent club, Liverpool, game week two. Um, Brighton away in game week three, Man United at home in game week four, and then Sheffield United and Bournemouth in five and six, which look okay. Then they embark on a bit of a difficult run. So it's one of those teams, again, filling the gaps, uh, situational. Is there going to be the likes of Bednarak and, and uh, Valerie uh, 4.0? I think not. Is James Ward-Prowse going to score a random screamer in those games? Could well. But I think Hars and Hustle got them playing very, very well towards the end of last season. I wouldn't be surprised to see them punching above their weight a little bit there are a few periods which are pretty good for them uh, 26 to 32 is one where they play uh, Burnley and Aston Villa West Ham Newcastle Norwich Arsenal and Watford in the space of a few games so yeah who knows there may be an Ings train at some point during the season
0: it's just inevitable, isn't it? There's going to be an Ings train. It's going to be a Redmond train, a JWP train. And, and those trains are definitely going to crash. And
2: thing with this Southampton team, what Hassan did was that he take a team that was lacking creativity and just passing around, you know, racking up possession stats, but very much getting nothing else. Like, they barely were shooting enough. And what he ended up turning them into was a distinctly mid-table team who were, you know, pretty much mid-table for xg for goals scored for goals conceded for expected goals conceded like, they were just distinctly mid-table which is an improvement obviously on the you know, verge of relegation for the last few seasons but it's nothing like the team that let's say we fell in love with who finished seventh a few years ago who were delivering clean sheets like there was a time where it was a viable thing to have three southampton defenders never after Hughes has been at that club <laughs> would that be a thing that could be possible and then in attack they just they haven't brought that next level player in that would give you hope that they can start to score beyond what they've been doing right now I think you're for them to get you know a 4-0 win or a 4-2 win or something you're relying on that moment of brilliance from a James Ward Prowse a low XG low chance low probability thing going right for them you don't see them
1: linked with anybody even the, the new guy they've signed from the Belgian league Gianepo is quite interesting uh, 19 years old could be quite raw um, but also could be quite exciting for them um, but yeah it's just one of those again you've got to watch and wait South Coast rivals Bryson um, perhaps also in the same boat and they do start the season pretty well Brighton so I wouldn't be surprised to see with what the West Ham and Southampton their first three and um, people fitting in the likes of Shane Duffy if he's still there of course uh, Pascal Gross our previous hero um, from two years ago um, likely to maybe get a bit of a downgrade in price, uh, you know, the likes of Jacambash Could he show up? Who knows? Uh, the sleeper cell of and um, But yeah, we're really uh, starting to scrape the dregs, aren't we, here? And I'm, I'm guessing that after Brighton last year and the uh, uh, the Duffy captaincy bandwagon being derailed so spectacularly off that massive cliff, um, whether people are going to be interested in them again. That is just a horrible thought to Duffy, bloody captaincy.
2: God, that was, seriously, that was, like, I was driving that bus. As I, went that cliff. <laughs> I pre-ordered the bus, like, long before it was even a thing. We the like, double game week, wasn't even confirmed, and I was talking about it. It was a terrible decision. Anyhow, yeah, no, there's nothing to be excited about with that Brighton team as it stands right now, but you would be hopeful that maybe if they do have a decent preseason I think you will find that there will be a lot of teams using them as enablers I think they will become the enablers that let's say Southampton previously were
0: We'll see a gross price drop. He really had a bad campaign after a brilliant one the previous year. Obviously, houghton has gone, and we'll see with Potter and Weaver's magic on the team. And there'll be a few changes. foot. the Duffy Dunk defence um, didn't pay off in that in that infamous double game week. But you could always count on them for the occasional clean sheet. At least you know they're one of the more solid defences at the bottom of the league. So um, you know they're quite good enablers occasionally in, in that team. But um, and then you know you've got a few cheaper assets, likes of Solly March or Anthony Knock are always worth um, keeping your eye and seeing what they're doing, but probably not going to be in our teams, are they?
1: No, definitely not. I mean, they weren't particularly good defensively, unfortunately. seven clean sheets, less three less than Cardiff, only two more than the likes of Huddersfield and Fulham. Uh, they were fourth uh, from bottom in terms of shots conceded last year. Uh, but second from bottom in terms of shots conceded last year were the previously solid Burnley, uh, who are the final team who were in the Premier League last year, we're going to speak about before we lump the three promoter teams into an amorphous mass. Burnley, without the Europa League hangover, could well be a little bit of a different proposition perhaps this year. They start off OK with Southampton at home. Uh, an Arsenal away, easy game. A Wolves away, not so easy game. Liverpool at home, not so easy game. Then Bryson in game week five. Maybe one of those we're going to watch and wait on. They've got a decent run uh, later on in the season, between game weeks five and 14, for example. There, and you play Chelsea of them the top six. It's going to be an early wild card eye, but you know, you've got the likes of Tarkovsky, you've got the likes of, of Taylor there now, after a previous FPL hero, Ward, was released. Uh, looks like his career's over after he's got a bit of a knee knack, right? Stag as the Irish man in, in the room. And um, right. yeah, but, you know, likes of McNeil, I think, could be quite an interesting one if he gets a 5.0, that could be very cool. And uh, Goodmanson as well, who had a good season two seasons ago, but it never steps really stepped up this year.
2: Yeah, like if you look at that, when. Burnley did finish the season quite well. You'll find that they actually were uh, overperforming based on the expected stats. They scored 13 goals, having had an, an XG of, you know, 8.78. That was, pro- that was the best overperformance of any team, the division, Baron, Newcastle and Liverpool in those final weeks of the season. Like defensively as well, they did, you know, pretty well, as you maybe expect them to do, but nothing unbelievable either in that area. <laughs> Wait and see.
0: I still quite like the forwards again. Barnes and Woods really connected well last season, both um, scoring over 10 goals. Uh, Barnes got 12 and Woods got 10. And uh, I, can, I can see another campaign of those two doing quite well. So they're always worth considering. In that front line where there seems to be a bit of a bereft of options, really, in, in the forwards category in FPL anyway. So I think it's always worth considering those guys, especially when the, uh, the Burnley fixtures... Uh, do improve after the quite tough start. And I think sort of game week five to nine, they've got a pretty decent run playing like Brighton, Norwich and Villa. So um, it, it might be worth looking at those guys then, but the defence didn't do particularly well despite having all the England goalkeepers. And the midfield, I think McNeil's certainly one to keep an eye on next season. I um, can see if he can step up, um, step up his game because he seems like quite an exciting young talent. But yeah, there's, there's not too many options there.
1: Yeah, also suggestions from our friend Clara FPL that Brady, uh, another Irishman, uh, may end up uh, supplanting McNeil. Maybe not, but um, that'd be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I actually I might as well speak on Brady. I actually saw him play like uh, like ninety minutes twice in the last few weeks, so I can actually say something about him. Like he is coming back to fitness at least, and that's like he he wasn't fit at all at the start of last season. I think he just struggled to break into the team from there. I'd be surprised if he supplanted McNeil though. McNeil is young and kind of coming through. Brady's actually a lot older than you'd think at this point. Like he's late 20s, like he's not that that old or anything. One of one of those Lingard characters. He nearly is falling into that category. Yeah, he's he's quite a bit. Oh, look what distinguishes Burnley from Brighton is I think those strikers in that like you do have two players there who can score 10 goals a season whereas Brighton had Glenn Murray can't even do it again. Is there hard to believe in Benjamin Button every year?
1: And um, anyway, the final bit is Sheffield United, Norwich, and Aston Villa and um I think that what we've learned, apart from Wolves, is that the majority of the time you should give these sorts of teams a harder void, apart from if they've got a 4.0 who plays or a 5, 4.5 who plays early doors. Uh, Norwich start against Liverpool. Sheffield United start away to Bournemouth, which is probably OK. And they've got Chris Palace and Leicester at home. So you know, there may be some interest in you know, the likes of stevens who we think may get a 5.0. And uh, Aston Villa have Tottenham away, but then Bournemouth and Everton, which is probably OK again but with these teams I'm just kind of thinking well they came up from the championship playing a very progressive style of football and I just wonder if they don't compromise on those principles and they don't have the players to uh, uh, to really do the job you'd definitely be thinking well target them early doors and then see how it goes after that right
2: uh, I was actually going to ask from the opposite side. Is I think if they start to try to compromise on their principles, they end up taking apart the systems that brought them up. I'd be more fearful for them if they try to take their attacking. What they know that, you know, football is such a scripted game now. And I think if you start trying to turn them into defensive teams who battle for 1-0 wins or 2-1 wins, I'm not sure that's going to work. I think that they have to try and like attack the likes of Hampton. Even the likes of Bournemouth can t- totally be got at, whereas I just don't see them grinding it out against them. I think last year, for example, Fulham turned around and completely ditched their attacking principles and fell apart. Cardiff stayed true to their principles and very nearly stood up. And Wolves, obviously, look, they're, they're in a complete exception to every rule. But I think every year you see teams that who've come up with a fairly expansive style, a fairly attacking style and, when they leave it, I think that they fall apart. We haven't seen enough transfers from any of them so far to understand what they're going to do, but at least we haven't seen a Fulham-style massive buy-in and totally ditching what worked
0: Fulham obviously yeah, there's a lot of hype about Fulham with all these players that were coming in you know like so Jean-Michel Serry, who was you know some of the top six clubs were linked to and you know they're splashing 30 million on like sort of Gwisa as well and you know Andre Scherler formerly of Chelsea joining everyone was quite excited by the Fulham sides, um, and then you yeah, know absolutely terrible you know getting smashed week in week out and uh, Norwich I think will be an interesting case they didn't really keep too many clean sheets in the championship last season they've got such a sort of young uh, defence as well, a lot of inexperience in that defence, so it'll be interesting to see whether those young uh, players in that defence can step up to the Premier League level, which they're going to struggle with, you know, got a tough test against them, Liverpool in the first week or, or if, if they collapse and we don't know is the answer to be honest how well they're going to do but we are looking at their players doing some prospecting the prospects which are going to be on the website quite soon um, I know Tom's done one on Stevens from Sheffield United and he's looked at like likes of British as well and um, I've written something on Max Aaron's. we've got a few articles coming up and um, Timmy Pukki Puk- is worth mentioning as well um, I think he was either top scorer in the championship last season 28 goals or so he um, he did really well um, last campaign, and he, he might be um, quite kindly priced forwards potentially to be looking at if, if Norwich do seem like they you know maintain their principles and whilst they're conceding a lot of goals, they might be scoring quite a few as well.
1: I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if players like Pookie and Grealish just just get the hype pricing. I'm hoping that they've learned from the likes of Cessonion, uh, the likes of Nocker, the likes of Tommy Smith. That pricing these players highly is a complete waste of time. Like, what's really interesting, for example, just to digress quickly on the Jack Grealish is he's a player who's likely to get you know the Joe to level the six point five, right? But over the course of his career, he scored fifteen goals and uh, assisted sixteen times. Last season, his six goals seven assists was his best ever career haul from a season from thirty four games. So. All of these players, that, players that we should look at with a bit of a pinch of salt. I mean, you've got the likes of Shut Up Wesley uh, joining Aston Villa from Belgium. Maybe, maybe the new Benteke. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're right, Zach. Maybe it is the case that if they do, uh, if if they do surrender their principles and turn to defensive teams, that they're going to be completely taken apart. But I, I also kind of think that if they do try to have a go, uh, that a lot of these teams are going to be good in those spaces that are created. In terms of uh, taking them apart, because as Nick said, a few of these teams do have very inexperienced players at the back. In Sheffield Knight's case, actually, they've got a lot of old players at the back. Uh, So you may be you may be seeing a a few very big scores for these against these sorts of teams in those sorts of uh, periods.
2: Yeah, like, look, I think with the likes of Norwich, let's say, who were a bit porous in the Championship, and I guess, you know, they, they got up the pretty fortunately, really. They didn't they weren't a team that had been earmarked to go up at the start of the season. I can't say I watched all that much Championship, nor have I watched too much of them since. But they were not anywhere near expected to come up. They had a low enough budget. They seem to have spent well in terms of infrastructure um, with the Madison money that they got last summer, rather than putting it into players, and then everything kind of came together perhaps a season earlier than they ever thought it would come together. So I I think they're the type of team that they should anyway probably target you know just above the relegation zone stick to their principles and go down if they have to and stay patient like I, they're probably ahead of them where they planned to be in their cycle and this is a this is bonus territory for them
1: yeah exactly um, Villa in the past though you know they're used to being in the division sort of thing yeah um, it looks like they've already made some strides in the transfer market as previous previously mentioned with Wesley and um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them put up a decent fight like i, I equally wouldn't be surprised to see the three of them go straight back down but the likes of Brighton are going to be the sorts of teams that they're going to be targeting and thinking yeah if we get points against that sort of side um, then we can send ourselves in good stead. but for now without knowing the price I think that we can just kind of say use caution when it comes to these guys right well that was a bit of a whistle stop tour and uh, as we were recording that's probably taken about two and a half hours I'll try to work that down hopefully you haven't listened to two and a half hours um, but um, but yeah hopefully that's a, you know a good introduction introduction to how these teams are sort of looking and our initial thoughts around what's going on but obviously you know in terms of the prices that's going to be what's really instructive and um, a quick bit of housekeeping that is on the 13th of July uh, we're going to be doing a meetup in, in London uh, FPL meetup and hopefully the game will be open then and hopefully it'll be like a swap shop back in the day where we'll be able to all look at our teams all share game week one ideas and uh, all be able to drink and catch up and get excited uh, ahead of the new season uh, but for now uh, that's it uh, thanks very much Stag for coming on.
2: Absolute pleasure, thanks very much for having me on, looking forward to being on again at some stage during the season
0: Yeah, Enjoy America. Thank you very much yeah, Thanks Sag for joining us on this uh, Whistle Stop Tour as Tom said and uh, look forward to seeing you guys um everyone wants to attend the drinks in, in London um, Just to say again, we are Who Got The Assist Find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or online at whogottheassist.com. Thanks for listening
1: Hope to assist you and speak to you soon. Bye. This is usually where I would say, Oh, it's a goal. Who got
2: the assist? Who got the assist? But
1: <laughs> after that was included the last time. Well, it was included,
2: wasn't it? Yeah, it was included. So.
1: <laughs> oh, it's a goal. Who
0: got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast
1: Network.